Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. As you're coming to your seats, I um, thought I could take a minute to explain um, sort of why we do Christmas the way we do it. If you're here and you're new to the church, this whole idea of doing a Christmas Eve Eve service uh, might seem might seem really strange, but when we we planted the church, a number of the people in the, our community um, had uh, Christmas Eve traditions already, um, either with their their you know their their old family church in a few cases, or Christmas gatherings with their family, and they were traveling. And we just realized there weren't going to be a, as many people around on Christmas Eve itself, and that as the culture was shifting. Uh, we realized that it was less going to be a thing for people culturally uh, to attend a Christmas Eve service. But we really didn't want to miss the beauty of, of Christmas Eve. And we didn't want to miss uh, really taking, uh, making a significant investment uh, to sort of mark that time and season. So what we decided to do is we invented a Christmas Eve Eve service. On the eve of Christmas Eve is when we, we would do that service. And we used to rent St. James Anglican Church, and in this case, we're renting all nations. And uh, it's just, it's, it's a really, really important uh, gathering for us. And so just really want to encourage you to come out. And, and to add to that, we, we also created something called the Christmas Eve at home service. And so what that is, is you'll get uh, this year a little letter with a little decoration, just a little gift from us. And included in that will be a little Christmas service that anyone in any place can just pull out of that envelope and lead your family in a Christmas in a in a simple Christmas Eve service with a simple reading and uh, some moments of reflection, and and we just have a little bit of fun with it. And it probably takes about 15, 20 minutes. But really want to encourage you to do that. Um, gather your family around the fire if you've got unchurched people there. Be that awkward guy who convenes the gathering and says, "Yeah, guys, I think we should do this thing my pastor gave us." And uh, we've just seen some really beautiful times of. Uh, connection and the Holy Spirit moving, uh, really good prayer times sometimes that come out of it. And so take your family party and just take like a 20-minute a, a time to bring Jesus into it. And that will be, uh, I think, a really rich experience for you. So if you have any questions about that, because we, we do do Christmas in sort of an atypical way, just ask any questions. We're happy to navigate that stuff with you. Uh, so we're second week in Advent, uh, and of course we invented an extra week in Advent because we wanted more. Um, so we're in week two of, of Advent. Well, all the world is starting Advent this Sunday. Um, so we're, hey, when you're a young church, you can just have fun with it. Um, and what we're doing is engaging with the idea of what is it that God is, what does it mean that God is with us? Like, what does it mean that he is with us? Um, last week we talked about when it seems like he's not with us at all. Uh, what does it mean, uh, this week we're going to talk about, what does it mean like in the moments of decision? We're going to look at Joseph's uh, wrestle over what to do in his journey with Mary. Uh, we're going to look at what does it mean that God is with us in our seeking? Like how does he guide us when we're, we're looking for him? And there's all kinds of pitfalls and challenges along the way in that journey. That'll be next week. We're going to do the story of the shepherds. What does it mean that God is with us in our vocation, in our day-to-day, -day, and how do we glorify him as people uh, just living our lives in the day-to-day? -day? And of course, we're going to look at Mary's and Joseph's journey 
How is it, how's God with us when we're just simply not in control? And I think this is going to help us address just some pastoral things in, in our community and in our lives as people in a really practical way to just help us navigate the journey. So this week we're looking at what does it uh, mean that God is with us in the choosing? What does it mean that God is with you in moments of indecision? How do you choose when there are uh, two choices before you or three choices before you or... Uh, unlimited choices before you, and, and you just don't know which way to go, or there's consternation in your heart. Um, I, I remember a moment uh, in Anna and my journey, and if you've been with us for a while, I've, you've probably heard me tell this story. I tell it every now and then, but it was early in our ministry journey. We just graduated from Bible school in the States, and we'd be given, given this job offer to be youth pastors at a rather famous, or depending on where you're from, infamous church in Toronto called Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship, which is now called Catch the Fire. And at that time, that church was experiencing uh, this incredible renewal, and people were coming all, from all over the world um, to just be part of it. And we were given this offer to go and be the youth pastors there. And, uh, and uh, that would have been sort of when we graduated in May, and uh, we knew that we could just move right into Toronto right away and start doing ministry. But there was something in my heart, uh, something in, in me that was like, if we do this, this is going to be really costly. Like, this, is, this is not going to be easy. This church is a big, big, crazy church, and it's exciting, and the Holy Spirit is doing amazing things. But if we, if we sign on to this, it is going to change us, whether we want it to or not. And do we want uh, that change to happen to us? Uh, we know we could go through the ringer. We know we could come out hurt. Uh, we're going to see all kinds of things that, that, that are, that are going to shape our lives. And did we want to do that? And on the other hand, was I could continue with construction. I could seek another ministry position. And these options were before us. And we spent that summer uh, living in my parents' RV in, the, in their front yard, which is really a wonderful place to be early in your marriage. Um, <laughs> Uh, and it was it was quite a, quite an exciting time for Anna. She she particularly enjoyed it, since I was doing construction, working nights. I was actually working nights, uh, doing a renovation on a funeral home. So that was just a cheery place to be through the dead of night. Um, we, yeah, and uh, and so I would come home just bagged and tired and at 6 a.m., and she's just waking up, and I'd just be going to bed. We were hardly seeing one another, and she had the rest of her day in my parents' RV or in my parents' house with my mom hovering around and my dad. You know, like, it was really a pleasant time for her. She, she quite, quite enjoyed that. Um, but I, I couldn't make that decision. I could not make that call. And it took really until, was it probably August, that, that Anna basically said, you must choose or I shall die. <laughs> You know, and that little that little voice of pressure sort of entered into my marriage in a strong, strong, highly important way, and we were able to make the decision, and, and ultimately, of course, had a, exactly the journey that we expected in Toronto. Wonderful, and at the same time changed us, and, and very hard in other ways as well. So um, there, there's that moment of, of decision where it's just hard. Have, have you guys experienced this? Like, this isn't just me. There, there, there are moments where those big decisions are hard, and there are moments where the little decisions are hard. Maybe you're deciding to um, commit to a small group or to change the way you're giving or to make a change in your career or to, uh, you know, change the way you're, you're parenting in, in relationship with your kids and learn something new there. Whatever it is, there's all kinds of different challenges and struggle, and you have two 
piece of information in front of you, and, and how do you choose what to do? How do you choose where you're going to go to school? How do you choose a spouse? All of these kinds of things are, are, are big moments for us. And so in the journey of Mary and Joseph, uh, Joseph has this incredible encounter that we read about this morning. Marlene did a beautiful job of that, where he is all of a sudden confronted with a situation where the woman to whom he's betrothed is found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And so we're just going to read the text and pull some things out of it. I know we've read it once, but I just want us to get right into the text a little bit deeper this morning. So let's just read it again. Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary or had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she'd given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. And so here we are, we have Matthew. Uh, and, and just to give us a little bit of context, Matt, or sorry, um, Joseph uh, lived in this little town uh, called Nazareth. Um, and the, in terms of the map, hopefully the map works out a little better this week. Yes, you can see that a little bit better. That little yellow star at the top is where Nazareth is. And you can see it's a little bit north in the Holy Land. Uh, there would be a, a territory called Samaria that would be just south of the region of Galilee. And Nazareth is a little town in the region of Galilee. How many of you, I, I was just doing some work on, on the background stuff. How many people do you think lived in the region of, of Galilee in the time of Jesus? Just a guess. Any, anybody have, have any guesses? Throw something out there. 10,000? 20,000? 30,000? Well, apparently Josephus and a, and a couple of other scholars actually suggested about 300 million people, or sorry, 30, 3 million people lived in that whole region. So quite a populous region. There were a number of cities there. There were cities like uh, Sycothius or, or Scythopia, Polis, Scythopolis, uh, Caesarea, and just a number of other cities, Capernaum, all of those places in that region were thought to be a little bit bigger than we could expect, some fairly well-evolved um, sense of industry, uh, the, the way they were doing shepherding and the way they were doing agriculture was sort of scaled to all produce stuff that was going to get shipped down to Jerusalem. So it's a fairly populous area. Um, if you think of, we looked last week at that uh, kingdom of Syria, uh, coming sort of north over top of, uh, of Israel, on the top of that sort of golden horseshoe, the fertile uh, uh, crescent. Uh, that area was just, just a fair bit more populous than we think. 
But uh, that town of Nazareth um, was an interesting pocket within it. Um, and when archaeologists look at the city of Nazareth, they find that it's uh, probably its population was small. I used to always sort of imagine maybe three or 400 people like the little town I grew up in. So all little towns are the size of the town you grew up in. Um, and, uh, but it's actually, its population was expected to be about 1,600 to 2,000 people. So that's sort of the size of the town Joseph uh, and Mary grew up in, the, the size of the people that sort of would have known their stories. Some of you remember what Carlton Place was like when you were younger. When I first moved to Carlton Place, it was a population of 6,000. So a little bit of a smaller town, maybe more the size of Almont when it was younger. And everybody sort of knows one another and knows one another's business. But Nazareth had some unique characteristics in that it was uh, a town that was particularly uh, religious, a, a town that was particularly um, people were particularly faithful. So when they did the archaeology on Nazareth and looked around at the wells and some of the buildings, one of the things they found was that there was a pottery uh, from a particular place that was more ceramic than clay pot and definitely more carbon stone um, earthenware rather than, than actual pottery that's made with clay. So ceramic and carved stone rather than clay. And what that meant is that the people in that town were much more interested in ritual purity. Uh, we look in that town and there are much fewer fragments than anywhere else of sort of Greek style decorating or Greek style architecture. So it was definitely a Jewish religious enclave. Uh, one of the interesting pieces of, of all of that is that in the whole region around Nazareth, um, Human, human excrement wasn't used for fertilizer. So there's a circle all around Nazareth where uh, it's just one of those small, one, one of the small little pockets, small little towns in that area where they just followed the Jewish law and, and did the, the proper thing that they were meant to do, burying the excrement and not using it in the fields. If you go over to the next town over, um, uh, the town is called Sephoris. Uh, Sephoris has, has evidence of human excrement all through the fields used as fertilizer. So this is a, a uniquely religious town. And so when it says in the text that we're looking at, it says Joseph was a righteous man. Not only was Joseph a righteous man, a just man, uh, he was a man uh, living in the context of a community that was very, very interested in the law and interested in ritual purity. It would have been a very interesting town for Jesus to have grown up to in once they moved back after the flight to Egypt, right? So they're living in this context of, of this sort of ritual purity of, of a community that was very, very interested in holiness and very interested in the law. And so when Joseph comes and finds out that his betrothed is somebody who, uh, who is now all of a sudden pregnant there's significant pressure on from the community around them and internal pressure in terms of his heart, in terms of how to do this. He's not living in this metropolis where, you know, everybody's doing something different and Romans live here and Persians live here and Egyptians live here and everybody's sort of doing their own thing. This is a Jewish enclave. This is, a relig this is like an Amish community in upstate New York. Like this is a, this is a, a place like this. And so that phrase, has anything good ever come from Nazareth? It's like people living in Vegas saying, has anybody... Uh, anything good ever come from this little Amish community in in Arizona, right, or whatever, right? Because it's like this is a this is a like a no fun kind of town, right? And so that's where he he grew up in. So add to that this 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 incredible sort of external pressure in terms of the place he was living, um, the marriage traditions in this space. 
um, were, were quite strict. In that day, and even now, with Orthodox uh, Jewish communities, um, when a marriage is arranged, and Will and Mia, you should pay attention to this, um, when a marriage has been arranged, um, what, what, is, what happens when you two would get engaged and, and go and talk to your parents, you probably wouldn't have gotten to do that. Uh, that would have happened. Your parents would have gotten together and arranged that all for you, which is super. Um, and and they, would have, they would have arranged a contract. It would have actually been a pretty formal written contract uh, called a ketubah. And you can actually buy this one on Etsy, if you want, for $850. That's where I stole that image from. Uh, it's still used in... Um, Orthodox Jewish communities where the parents would get together and they would write a contract and say this is what marriage is, is about, this is when it's going to happen, uh, this is what uh, we agree to share back and forth as families, and this is what their commitment and covenant to one another uh, kind of means. And so Joseph and Mary would have had this written up for them uh, by their parents. They may have known each other well or maybe they didn't know uh, each other well, but this contract, which is a fairly serious contract and a very difficult contract to break, um, was put in place uh, for them. And j just a side note on, on a beautiful thing about this is every surrounding culture and many cultures around the world, uh, even, even British culture, when, when somebody gets married in, in that old culture um, and, and a wife is, is going to be given to another family, she's given with a dowry, right? Have you heard that term? dowry, right? So it's like, please take this and take my daughter off my hands. Like, I will give you anything, like, just to not have this daughter in my house, right? Well, it's actually absolutely opposite in Jewish culture. In, Jew in Jewish culture, uh, the groom's family pays what is called the bride price. And what that means is that they're saying, we so value having this woman in our community, we so value having this woman added to our family, and we know it costs you something to let her be added to our family. We want to bless you and compensate you and thank you for, for raising her and letting her become part of our family. So we just see that little thread in Jewish history of a little bit more dignity for women, a little bit more respect, and a little bit more uh, grace and, 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 and beauty there. And just, just a sense that women are, are valued. And we see that in Jesus' teaching as well. Again, very countercultural to all of the societies around them, but just this high value on women. So they have this arrangement uh, between them, and this marriage is about to happen. And, uh, and when, when Joseph finds out that Mary is, is pregnant, in this religious community, in this contract, uh, is, is essentially rendered null and void by this pregnancy, Joseph has a, a difficult decision on his hands. And it says, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. What's happening there is he has really two choices in front of him that are just the two obvious choices. And you and I are faced with this kind of thing all the time where we have a couple of choices in front of us and, and, uh, and, and we sort of don't know what to do with them. For, for Joseph in this religious community, he would have had the practice of stoning uh, a woman like Mary. So he could go, what he would do is he would go to the elders and he would talk to them and he would say, listen, uh, my, my wife or my betrothed Mary is, is pregnant already. I had nothing to do with it. Um, do with her as you will. And, and she very likely could have been uh, at that point 
uh, basically taken outside of the town and killed and stoned and, and, and dealt with in that way. Again, a very harsh and, and brutal uh, practice in that time. Um, or he could divorce her quietly. And what that says actually in the Greek, it's not just divorce her quietly and she lives around the town and hangs out there, but, but in, in our English translation, I think it's ESV gets it a little bit more accurate. It says, and he put her away. And what that meant is he would very quietly have moved her out of town and moved her to another place where she had some relatives or family, maybe where Elizabeth and Simeon were. We see a little bit of their story in the book of Luke. And move them somewhere safe and just quietly get her out of that highly religious town so that she uh, is, is protected and that she's safe and that she doesn't come under judgment or doesn't come under shame that she would have received in that religious community. And so we look at that and we say, oh, I, I love that. I love the kindness of Joseph. I love that he wanted to protect her. I love that he wanted to, to care for her. And what it says in, in the text is, uh, he, I'm just going to look at this text again here. He resolved to divorce her quietly. So he took this high road. He took this good road. He made this sort of compassionate decision, right? He resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, and, and that word English just isn't, in, in English, that word consider just isn't quite sufficient. First of all, he had resolved. The word for resolve there indicates he had decided, he had made the decision, he's going to send her away quietly. But as he considered this, so he made the decision, what's he doing still considering? The word there uh, for consideration uh, is, is a Greek word, anthem. I'm terrible with this, enthymeomai. And, and what that is, is that's, that's a really intense word of, of, that, that indicates wrestling, that indicates a, a passionate response to the circumstances, easily agitated uh, by strong provoking impulses, uh, so passionate supposing, passionate thinking that produces fervent, and I'm just reading definitions from people smarter than me, producing fervent inner cogitation. Like he's wrestling that down in his heart. So he's resolved to do this compassionate decision, but he's still in a state of wrestling, still in a state of fear, still ultimately somehow in the valley of decision. And I think that's just an important thing for us to notice is that very often when we uh, take a decision or, or make a decision that we think is the right one, sometimes that decision uh, is, is not sitting with us very well. Right? Joseph had this choice, uh, you know, before him the two obvious choices. Yeah, I, I have to put her away because I don't want to be associated with the shame of this. Um, I don't want to be associated with the guilt of this. I don't want a woman who has, has been made impure. Um, I don't want to come under religious judgment. So there's only one, there's only two options. We either, we either break this relationship off the bad way or we break it off the nice way. Right? But he's still agitated. He's still stressed. He's still worrying about him. And then all of a sudden this angel arrives on the scene and says this. He says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
an option that Joseph had never even considered appears in the form of an angel. It's not just protect myself, break this relationship, follow the pattern, divorce her this way or that way. God comes and introduces an idea that wasn't even for him. Do the counterintuitive, do the opposite. Instead of putting her aside, marry her now. Firm up your relationship with her now. Because that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so I think just another thing for us to recognize, in those moments of consternation, in those moments of wrestling, in those beautiful, I think really important moments for us sometimes of self-doubt, the Lord very often can have a solution for you which is not something that you even considered. Fundamentally, as, as beautiful as it was that Joseph chose the compassionate choice for his culture, there was a more selfless choice that was an option he hadn't even considered, right? There was a more kingdom choice. There was a more Jesus choice that he hadn't even computed, that he hadn't even talked about, that hadn't even occurred to him as a possibility. And so this angel comes and visits him in a dream and says, there, there is another way. And, and when we look at that, what, what the angel identifies in him, which I think is so often gumming us up in our decision-making, is fear. Right? We get gummed up in decision-making by our fear. That was my problem in Toronto, trying to make that decision, right? I, I was scared. I didn't want to undergo the challenges that I would face there. I didn't want to go uh, and, and undergo the, the struggle that was about to happen to go and be a pastor in that crazy church with, with I don't know why they wanted me to do that job. You know, between 150, 300 kids in this youth group, I've never led anything like that in my life. Right? And I was scared. But don't you want the Holy Spirit more than your fear? Right, and what Jesus is teaching us and what Joseph saw is that sometimes the option we don't even see and sometimes the option we fear the most in life is the option he has for us. And we press through the fear and we press through the discomfort to find the place where Jesus is. To find the place where he's at. And so Joseph is in that spot. Uh, it's not divorce her publicly. It's not divorce her quietly. It's marry her now and wrestle with the consequences and wrestle with the reality that you feared the most. Now, can you think of some decisions like that in your life where you have known that there's something you ought to do? You've been in consternation and you've been looking at all the options except for the one that you know the Spirit is leading you to. So look for that fear, that internal fear, that fear of self-harm, that fear of, of personal struggle, that fear of uh, giving up autonomy, whatever it is in you that you are wrestling with that is stopping you from seeing those options. And just pray and look carefully to say, is it possible that Jesus is on the other side of the fear? Is it possible that Jesus is on the other side of the struggle? Because when we look at this, 
uh, the angel speaks and calls him forward into the difficult, what's the angel calling him into? Well, it's right in the text. It's in the last two verses we read. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. Sometimes the hard decision is simply to be obedient, right? And sometimes we don't want to see that choice in front of us because we don't want to do obedience. We are proud. We want to do our way. We want to have our way. Right? And you remember this as kids or, or even as adults, right? That's a really good idea. And I don't want to because it wasn't a good idea. Have you ever, come on. Am I the only one? That's good. I'm not standing here by myself, right? right? We, we do that, right? We, that, that, is the, that is the choice that we want to make. But I don't want to do it because my dad said I should do it. Or my mom said I should do it. I didn't think that up. Right? We are inherently rebellious. So the path forward, the path to the choice that we didn't see or the path to the choice that we were ignoring is very often a path of obedience. And of course, reflected in Joseph's story, is the story of Jesus. What did Jesus do in going to the cross? What was he doing? He was being obedient to the Father. Obedient to the love of God. Obedient to the call that was on him. So as we make our decisions, we filter out. We have to filter out our own rebellion. We have to filter out our own pride. We have to filter out our own desire to be the one who chooses the next thing there is, it says he just, he took and received his wife. That word took is, is like, I received this gift. And again, that's Jewish language, uh, honoring and respecting uh, the women. It's not like, I shall go hunt this woman and I shall throw her over my shoulder and take her back to my home. That's, that's sort of the, the, that, what that weak English word does to us. But it means he received this gift of his wife. Right? So what he's doing here is, He's choosing a covenant over separation, right? His only option before him was to, to break the covenant, to set her aside, to send her to some other town, or to uh, bring her the, the news to the elders and to just break this thing off. And, and, and I just think very, very often that is the easy path for us in our decision-making is we choose to go our own way, we choose to uh, break relationship, we choose not to press into the hard questions, we choose not to press into the difficult uh, conversations, and we end up going separate ways in relationships and essentially breaking covenant. But I think the way of Jesus, more often than not, when we're thinking about decision-making, look for the thing that leads you into covenant. Look for the thing that leads you into deeper relationship. Look for the thing that leads you into deeper commitment. Look for the thing that leads you into deeper friendship. And very often, I think we'll find Jesus through that difficulty and through that challenge. Uh, he calls us so very often, I think, to endure a hard thing uh, for the sake of relationship. And then the other thing that's happening in this is he's choosing to identify with the will of God. He's choosing to identify with God and God's choice for him. And he's choosing to do what makes him unpopular with his context. Right? 
What else is it? What do we fear in our decision-making? What do we fear in our choice to follow God? What do we fear in our questions about vocation, about where God might want to use us in our lives, about what career we might choose, right? We fear, we think so much about what others think. And we so often want to identify with others. We want to identify with people. We want to be popular. We want to fit. We want to make, uh, make it right with, with our culture, with whatever our surrounding context is. And I think very often the Jesus way, the Jesus choice, um, is to choose him over our reputation. Choose him over the comfort of our relationships. So what does that mean for you in your workplace? What does that mean when you're choosing uh, what, whether you're going to say something about Jesus at your Christmas party or not? What does that mean in all those little decisions? What does it mean in the big decisions? To choose to identify uh, with God's purpose in your life over and above identifying with um, ma- making you fit and making you comfortable in your cultural context. And then the last thing Uh, But he knew her not until she'd given birth to a son. This path through the third option, this path to the difficult thing for Joseph, simply he he chose to be immediately married to a woman uh, with whom he wasn't going to have relations. Right? He chose celibacy within marriage uh, out of love for God, out of honor for the purity of, of what God was doing. Uh, he just chose to give that peace up. He just chose a, a, a moment of self-sacrifice, a moment of, of generously, I'm, I'm going to protect uh, the beauty and purity uh, of this woman. I'm going to uh, allow her the space to be, be fully pure through the development of this child that's inside her and the holiness that's there. And then all the world will see that this, that I just, uh, for as much as anybody believes me, because who would believe I'm telling this story? Um, that this is God's thing and I'm just here to nurture it. And I'm giving myself to support and care and love for this woman, even though uh, I'm not able to have uh, that part of a relationship and that part of a marriage that I might want to have. And so in that, we see the self-sacrificial love of Jesus. So what decision have you avoided? Have I avoided? Because it's simply costly. Where have I avoided self-sacrificing love and chosen the thing that serves me most? Right? And so there's this incredible, beautiful uh, journey for Joseph, simply the angel calling him to choose the hard thing when he didn't even see it in front of him. And so what is the hard thing that maybe Jesus is calling you to that you don't want to choose? What's the hard thing he's calling to you and you, you... He's calling you to in your discipleship journey? What's the hard thing he's calling you to in terms of growth? Is he calling you to make confession about something that you need to make confession about? Is he calling you to give something that you need to give? Is he calling you to commit to something that you need to commit to? Is he calling you to give up something you need to give up? Is he calling you into a relationship uh, to press into friendship, to press into family, to press into uh, community in a way that you've been afraid to press into it? On the other side of those fears, you'll find the God who is with you. And this is the purpose that the angel outlined for him, 
right? As the angel is explaining this, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Everywhere you make a decision that will lead you to a Jesus place, you'll find he's saving people around you. He's saving you. Salvation is happening when he is in the journey. Transformation is happening. Uh, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken. The fulfillment of the things that are, are really truly ought to be our dreams. The fulfillment of the things that really uh, actually are going to give us joy. The fulfillment of the things that actually are going to produce fruit and life and ministry and care and, and the kingdom advancing in the world all around you. Come as we choose the Jesus way. And of course... Verse 23, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, uh, and they will call his name Emmanuel. It all, every part of it, leads to relationship with Jesus. Every part of it leads to friendship with Jesus. Every part of it leads to walking more deeply with him. So we choose the hard way. Simon, you, the worship team can come ahead. As we uh, prepare to just close and worship, uh, I'm just going to ask, ask us to have a moment of silence. Because maybe there's decisions that we've made that, that we're like, oh man, I, I did, I chose the easy route. Or maybe there's decisions that are in front of you that are decisions to do the hard thing that ultimately are going to lead you to relationship and joy and life and God being with you in a new way. And so I'm just going to let there be a moment of silence and, and let you uh, be in that place of wrestling in the valley of decision for a moment. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovchurch.ca.